0: good morning good to see everybody here at our main campus welcome to you guys that are joining us online so real quick before we get started we want to give you uh, our giving uh, update so just as a reminder we're not doing it every month anymore we're doing it every quarter to kind of give you guys a big picture perspective of what's going on here at life church so here's our giving slide so our budget for the second quarter hundred seventy one thousand what we are for second quarter uh, giving. And then over budget for the quarter, $40,000. Over for the year, over $85,000 in the first two quarters. So, I mean. Again, I mean, in all the years of of doing church and even listening to what's happening inside of the church world today since COVID and everything that's happening, I mean, this is an anomaly, right? Like, this is just, you know, this isn't happening. Like, churches aren't growing and budgets aren't, you know, being met. And so, first of all, we just want to say humbly thank you for your generosity. Thank you for believing in what Life Church is doing. Because again, like, We think here at the church, and we talk about this a lot, like we think God's on the move. Like we think uh, out of the past 18 years of doing ministry here that we think there's opportunities now that have never been, that we've never had before in reaching lives of people. We think there are opportunities that, um, you know, have not been done before. And that's why your generosity is going to allow us to continue to think outside of the box because you're going to hear me say this over and over again, and, and um, I hope that you will understand where I'm coming from, but here's the reality. Church, in the way that it's going today, not live church, but church in general, we're losing the battle. Well, like We're going backwards when it comes to reaching people for Jesus Christ in the way that is transformative. Now, people are getting saved and good things are happening in individual churches and we're seeing some things, but the reality is is that, you know, Christianity in the United States of America, right, is declining. So when I say losing, we'd have to understand that it's declining and so it's something that we need to do something about. And I hope that as we go through this message, you'll be able to see those things. So we just say generosity-wise, thank you for being a part of what's going on. And thank you for supporting the vision and mission of what we're doing here at Life Church. So if you have a Bible, turn to Revelation 14. So we're back in the book of Revelation. It's kind of amazing when you look at, you know, how long we've been doing this. This is 21 weeks that we've been going through the book of Revelation. And so I want to give you a short picture or window into why did we even start the book of Revelation and what do we hope to get out of it, right? Because we've been in it for so long, sometimes I think we forget, you know, what are we doing? Where are we at? Why is it important? So remember that the book of Revelation is the book that's telling us about the future, right? So we started with this idea It's a book about the future and that we understand this about ourselves. If you know what's going to happen in your future, you tend to change the things that you do today, right? Now, meaning this, if you could see into your future and you could see a complete disaster coming, right, you would probably change the trajectory of your life so you'd stay out of that disaster. Is that true? Right? Like, that's just how people work. Or if you could see the future of your life and you could see what's coming if you stay in your lane, you're probably going to stay in your lane, right? Like if you could look into the future. So the book of Revelation is saying, well, let me give you a picture or a window into the future, not just so you can understand a prophetic book, but so that if you need to change, you need to change, Right, So part of reading the book of Revelation is, is, is it reveals to us some things about the future that hopefully we as Christian people will look at ourselves and say, oh wow, we need to do something different or we need to change because this is what he says about what's to come if I don't change right? or if we don't do anything different. So that's part of it. The other part of it is to say, This is what the future brings, and by you staying in your lane, you can experience the good part of this future, stay in your lane, right? Keep doing it because this is the benefit and this is the blessing. So where we're at in Revelation 14, just to catch you back up on somewhat of the timeline. So we talked about the 144,000 last week, so we're coming to the end right? So we're coming to the end of the book of Revelation and it's culminating with like these last chance efforts for anybody that has not given their life to Jesus Christ to do something with it, okay? Now remember that when you're reading the book of Revelations, a lot of people read it and they're like, God's pretty mean. Anybody? Like you read it and you're like, holy crap, that's what he does? You know, like that's pretty harsh when he does these things. But remember, The thing that God cares about more than anything is that you have a relationship with him. So throughout all of history, through scripture and through your life, just so you know, he will do whatever it takes to wake you up so that you will see that you need a relationship with him. Some will reject it and some will accept it. Some will continue to reject it and some will accept it. Well, what you're seeing in the book of Revelations, judgment came on the earth to wake people up. Right? Like, if you're not where you need to be, all of a sudden, it get, things are getting out of control. You look at your life like you've never looked at it before, and you're like, wow, I need to make a decision. I'm in the wrong place. Right? That's why it comes. It's not to just be mean, you know, when God does this. So, brings judgment to bring people to a reality. And this is the reality. And this is what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks, right? As we ended up. Here's the reality the decision that you make in your life today will affect or the decision that you've made in your life previously, will affect how you spend eternity. The culmination of all of Revelation is this. There is no in between. You're either going to heaven, or you're going to hell, right? Like, there is no other place. There is no, just go into no existence. It's not just that you go into the dirt. It's not just that you just, you know, everything just goes away. The reality is, there is a heaven, and people are going to it, and there is a hell, and there are also people that are going there. now. We're going to talk about in Revelation 14, the angels that are coming in Revelation 14 are giving us all three again, salvation, judgment, damnation, right? And so we're going to focus on that today with this idea in mind, right? So last week, here's what we celebrated, right? So last week, for two weeks, really, Taylor did this idea of discipleship, right? So for all of us, we are like, what does it mean to be a disciple? And then how can we disciple other people? That was the whole idea. So we needed to take an evaluation of our life. Are we discipling ourselves? Like, are we becoming more like Jesus? And specifically, we talked about, are you discipling your kids? Like, that was the whole idea. Like, VBS was happening. A lot of young people were up here. We were celebrating what God was doing through making ways through the VBS and exciting to see all of these kids up here. And then we were just saying, like, here's the reality. The church has a part, but so do you. But like you need to disciple your kids, you need to do something about it. Now, as exciting as that was, this is what's crazy. So I was sitting out there, and I'm watching all of this, and I'm super excited to see all of these kids on stage, right? Because here's what a lot of people in the church say. I love coming to a church that has a lot of kids, you know, because that's the future of the church, right? Well, I'm going to give you a reality, check for just a second so although it is incredible to see all of these kids on stage in the latest study put out in 2021 70 percent of these kids on stage will leave the church 42 out of 60 so there are 60 kids up here this, is, this study was for kids that were in a church that went through a children's program, went through a youth program, and their parents brought them to church. Stand 42 out of 60 are leaving the church. Now, I wanna make sure you understand this, in everything that I say today, I'm not making a judgment on where somebody's gonna spend eternity, okay? So we're all on that page. I'm not the judge, but I will tell you this. Scripture's very clear that the evidence of a person's life is to other people and to themselves a determination of where they're spending eternity and the decision they made. Does that make sense? So the evidence of their life, the things that they do, represent the decision that they made. Okay, so how they do their life. So I'm just saying, I doubt that if a person has a deep personal relationship as a high schooler and loves Jesus, that they're walking away from the church. Anybody agree with me, not agree with me? Right, because here's, the, here's part of the problem. Part of the problem was we make an excuse for everything. you know what I mean? Like, well, the kids are leaving the church, but you know, they might come back someday, just wait till they get married, or wait till they have kids, or wait till something happens in their life really bad, and then they might be back i like, something, you know, when I was saying something's broke, something's broke. Something's not happening right that 42 out of 60 kids are walking away from the church. 42 out of 60 kids that are singing about Jesus and excited about Jesus as a young person in elementary, and then they get to middle school, and you know what happens in middle school, Right? it's still kind of cool, and you're kind of together, and you know what happens in high school? It becomes less and less. Anybody tracking with me? Anybody raise kids, right? They're really excited about it here, and then they get to here, and they're really excited about other things, right? And then pretty soon, the other things of the world become the center of their life, and so everything that they're doing is walking away from this, because you know what? This isn't important anymore, and guess what? You gave them a decision to make, and you know what their decision was? I don't need this anymore. And they walked away, right? Now, I'm gonna make some assumptions, right? I'm gonna make these assumptions based upon again, the evidence of the way that you see people live their lives So the evidence of what they're doing that would say, hey, we got an issue you know, with young people inside of the church or we have an issue when I said, we need to do something as a church because Christianity is on the decline. I'm gonna make some assumptions, right? And these assumptions, again, I'm not, I'm not the judge of your heart or the people's heart, but my assumption is, is that 42 out of those 60 kids aren't coming back. They're not like coming back someday. In fact, I think it's gonna grow unless we change something. And I don't think they're coming back and they just, you know, went to college and they were away for a while. I, this is what I think. I think the majority of those kids, unless something drastically changed, are going to spend a Christless eternity in hell. And you know what's funny? Not funny, but you know what's ironic about all of that? is that for some reason, even though we know that, there isn't an urgency to change it. And here's why. You ever been to a funeral before? So when you go to a funeral, the words that you hear every single time is, that person is in a better place. Just so we all know, everybody is not in a better place. Some of them are in hell with constant torment. And it doesn't matter if they were a good person or not, they're in a Christless eternity because they didn't make a decision to accept Jesus Christ and follow him. That's just the reality. Like, it's not because they were good or bad, it was because they didn't make a decision to accept Jesus. And I think, that you know, because that seems kind of funny, we look at it and like, oh yeah, everybody goes to heaven. You know why I think it's such a struggle to disciple our kids? Because two things. I think kids, now listen to me for a second, kids. Just because you're growing up in a home where your mom is a believer doesn't mean you are. And if you don't make a decision for Jesus Christ and follow him, you're going to hell too. Any kids love me? (laughs) You hear what I'm saying, right? Like, listen to me. You can't play off of your parents' faith. You, just because you grew up in a home where I've always just kind of known God, that doesn't count. You hear me? Like it doesn't count just because you know God. You have to understand, and we're gonna talk about this in a little bit, what true salvation is. Knowing God because your parents do doesn't change anything, right? And, and and I say this and we wonder again, why is it that a lot of kids are walking away? And believe me, I'm not blaming you as parents because I have kids that have made decisions that they could care less? Like, I've raised some, right? I know what that's like. Like, it's not on you for every decision that they make, but we do have to do the best of our opportunity to give them every chance to be successful, right? Every chance to understand the truth. And we have to understand this. Listen, I'm gonna talk about it as we go through this. The hardest conversation you might have with your children today is not heartache from dating or all these other things, it might be that you, if you don't change, you're spending eternity in hell. And you know how many parents wanna have that conversation? None. And you know why? Because we are afraid we're gonna hurt them. I'm gonna tell you something. Not speaking truth to them might save them today, but you're damning them to hell for later. We have got to be okay, and this is what today's about. Let's just be real, right? Like, I'm not the judge, and I'm not the one that's condemning, but I think there is a reality that we got to stop skirting past. Right? We gotta stop skirting past and making excuses of why our kids don't come to church or making an excuse why it's okay to, to not follow Jesus, but you still call yourself a Christian and you're okay. Like We gotta stop making those excuses because I think it's just permeating the problem of so many people that are gonna be deceived at the end and stand in front of Jesus and he doesn't know you. Because we're just saying it's okay, right? And the thing to think about is, is we do have a part. So whether you have kids in the home, whether you are with a group of people without kids, whether you are a mentor to somebody else's kids, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what scripture says very clearly. Train a child in the way they should go and they will what? Never depart from it. That's what they said, right? Which means they're gonna have their ups and downs, but they're always gonna come back to it, right? So here's my question. How much training are you doing? Because here's what I know about being a parent and here's what i know knowing about people. If you want him to be a good basketball player or a volleyball player, what do you get him? Training, right? Like we put them in training, we put them in places, we do whatever it takes to get them trained up. If you want them to be a musician, what do you do? You get them training. If you want them to be good at anything, what do you do? Train them. Here's my question: How are you training your children when it comes to be be a believer in Jesus Christ and a warrior for the kingdom of God? How are you doing? How much training are you doing? I'm not talking about talking. I'm talking about training. You know, training is very specific. I want you to be here, so I'm gonna give you every possible chance to succeed, so I'm gonna put these things, and they're very meticulous, and we're gonna do these certain things in your life, because it's training. It's not like, did you do your Bible study today? Did you do your devotions? That's not training. You know, part of the problem with children is today is they have a hard time connecting what's inside of scripture to real life. That's part of training. Tell your story. This is what God's doing. This is how I can attach it to real life. This is what I want you to see. This is what we need to talk about. You see what I'm saying? Like it's a training. We want them to be somewhere. We want them to be men and women of God. What do you need to do to train them up? All right, so as we look at that scripture, uh, the scripture today in Revelation 14, this is what I want you to be thinking. Right? I want you to be open with this fact Right. that we got a lot of work to do. And we need to do something about it. And it starts, this is in my opinion, this is just an opinion, it starts with being honest. Be honest with yourself and be honest with the people around you, right? And stop making excuses for for yourself and other people of why they're not followers. Because it might be the worst thing that you could ever do for somebody and for yourself. Okay, so Revelation 14, let's go there. Revelation 14, and we're gonna be starting in verse six. Now again, we're coming to the end. Here's what he's trying to do. I'm gonna give you another chance, right? So do you remember the 144,000, they're evangelizing people, but they can only reach so many people, they're only 144,000, right? We're trying to reach the whole world. The two witnesses, you remember the two witnesses were standing at the wailing wall? So the two witnesses who were at the wailing wall were people who were witnesses of what Jesus Christ was doing. Other people who have got saved during the time of of tribulation are also witnessing. But you know what scripture says? Scripture says Jesus will not come back until every single person has heard. Remember that? Like he says, I can't come back and end it all until I've given every person a chance. So this is your last chance. There's going to be angels that are going to appear and they're preaching a message from the air. Why? So everybody can hear it and nobody will have an excuse. Right? So he's, this is to say we can end it now because there's not one person that hasn't had a, 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 an opportunity to make a decision so that they can't say, well, I never knew. Right? So this is the opportunity to say never knew. And that's what I want you guys to hear today. So we're going to be very specific. And I don't want you to walk out of here. With this, I never knew. We're gonna be very specific of what it means to be saved, very specific on what judgment looks like, and very specific, at least at this part of it is, if you are not in relationship with Jesus Christ, I wanna be very specific with you of what hell is like. Not to, not to make you scared, but help you understand a reality, because the reality that's being painted in culture today, and we're gonna see this in a little bit, Churches and people have taken hell out of the picture, right? And here's why: they can't reconcile. You know what happens when people can't reconcile something? So you know how you get in your mind. How does a loving God send somebody? Because when you really know what hell's like, it's awful. You know this isn't just like a oh I burnt my finger, right? This is constant torment. And do you think how does a loving God send somebody? to a place of torment for the rest of their life. How do you reconcile that? Well, you can't reconcile it so you know what you do. You either do away with it, which is happening in churches today. There is no hell, right? Annihilationism, there is no hell. You can just go away and you're gonna be in the dirt. And although you can't spend eternity in heaven, you're just gonna turn into dust, right? Like that's part of a belief system that's inside of the church, that's permeated the church because they don't know how to reconcile a a loving God sending somebody to hell. And/or this is what the church has done lately. and/or you can't reconcile it so you know what you do. Well, only the really bad people go there, and the church determines who's really bad. Anybody follow me? Like the "you know the who they are." right? And they'll have a list, you know, and every church has their list, like, "Well, these really bad people are going to hell. The rest of you guys that are kind of lukewarm in the middle, you're good. You're good. Right? Even though scripture says, you're not. <laughs> I'm gonna spit you out of your mouth, you're going to hell if you're lukewarm. That's what he says. Right? But we don't really want to say that because who comes back to that church? Right? Like who comes back to the church just telling you, well, if you're lukewarm and you're just sitting around and you're doing nothing, you're probably going to hell. Right? Nobody wants to hear that message, but that's the message, right? The message is the reality. So now they're preaching it. So the angels are preaching it, so I want you to hear it just like I hear it, and I want us to not walk away. So if you're online watching, and or if you're at this main campus, I'm saying don't walk away saying you didn't know, right? This is an opportunity for you to know. So here's how it starts. Uh, Revelation 14, starting in verse 6. Says then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the spring water. So he starts right in the beginning. Here's the first message. He says, I want to teach you about the gospel. So the, the first angel says he's preaching the eternal gospel. So when you see people in Scripture talk about the eternal gospel, they're talking about this. I'm going to take you all the way back so you understand salvation. Okay, so if you're a kid, listen up. Like if you've never heard this before, or maybe you thought you knew, but I want to take you clear back, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. So in the beginning, in Genesis, God created the world because he wanted to be in relationship with people, right? That's the God that you serve. The God that you serve wants to be in relationship with you and he wants to spend time with you and he wants to walk with you and he wants to talk with you, right? Like that's the God that created you. He created you in his image to be with him and that's what was happening in the Garden of Eden. But Adam and Eve sinned. A holy God from that point on still desires a relationship with the people that he created, but because they had sin in their life, the relationship was broken. We tracking? Right, so the relationship was broken. But God, in his wisdom said, because I love you, I wanna give you a chance to be in relationship with me. So you know what he did? You know what he did at the end of the, uh, when they're in the Garden of Eden, when you're reading this story? He killed an animal shed blood, and clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins. You know why? Because here's what he said. Number one, I'm gonna go to the effort to restore the relationship, so I'm gonna shed the blood. Because here's what you need to know. For every sin that's committed, something has to die. Does that make sense? If you sin, blood has to be shed right? And the reason, you know, the animal covering, the animal covering was to symbolize the covering of your sin because something else had to die to cover you. That's a symbolization. Did you get that? Like they had fig leaves, but he closed them in animal clothes. And the, the symbolization was, if you sin, something has to die. And because it was innocent, it's giving you a foreshadowing, that innocent animal that died now covers your sin. Okay, so the idea throughout all of the Old Testament is I love you, God's saying I love you, I want a relationship with you. But Todd Little, if your family's sinning, here's what you need to do. You need to go sacrifice something because something has to die for your family's sin. So he would go out and he would take it to the priest and the priest would slay the animal and the animal's blood would cover the family's sin and because it covered the family's sin, they could now be right relationship with God. Why? Because they're still sinners, right? And how can a sinning person be in a right relationship with God? Because of blood. Does that make sense? We're still on the same page. The only way to be saved or to be in right relationship with God is through the blood of an animal or something that died. Now, Jesus Christ came then. This was the gift that came from God. I'm going to send my son. And here's the reality. You can be made right for eternity because of the death of one man. And because the shedding blood, the atonement, right? So this is what the atonement means, and this is what you need to realize. So listen up, kids, everybody out there that that hasn't heard this before. If you want to spend eternity in heaven, right? You have to start with this, I'm a sinner. If you never admit it, you will never be saved. You need to start with, I'm a sinner that needs saved, and then from that point on, you can have the atoning blood of Jesus cover you and save you. That's what you need, but it's a personal thing. It's not your mom's, it's not your dad's, it's not your friends, it's not the people around you, it's you personally recognizing, I'm a sinner falling short of the glory of God, I deserve hell. And if you don't say that, I'm just listen to me, if you don't get to that point, you will never understand the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. Are we tracking? Like you can't understand the sacrificial blood of Jesus until you understand what you deserve. you deserve the same thing I deserve hell. You deserve the same thing I deserve, torment. You deserve the same thing. But because of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, I am so thankful that that God would send his son to save me. That's where it starts. The atoning blood, that's the gospel, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ starts with you recognizing that you're a sinner and you need saved. And that Savior is not your friends, and it's not your mom, and it's not the people around you, but your Savior is Jesus, and he's the only one. And that you personally need a relationship with him, not through your parents. Your parents are there to guide you. Your parents are there to help you. Your parents are there to encourage you. But it's your relationship, yours, and yours alone. Right. And that's for adults, too, but I'm just saying, like as we look at kids, maybe they're understanding it for the first time. That's how you have to understand it. If you're looking at it you know, from a standpoint of, because you want to know, again, back to why people walk away. Like This is just a picture. Why do people walk away? Because they taught that, that Jesus was a savior of their marriage, Jesus was a savior of their job. Jesus was a savior of their money. Jesus was a savior of their relationships. He wasn't the savior of your life. And so anytime any of this stuff goes away and it doesn't work, guess where people go? They walk away. And so if you taught your kids, you know what Jesus is a savior of? These five things and then they look at your life and he didn't save you from it, guess where they're going? Anybody? Right? When they look at us as parents and then we taught them that, well, Jesus saves us from death and Jesus saves us from, always keeps us healthy and Jesus always does, and, and then all of a sudden somebody in your family gets sick and dies, then what are your kids gonna do? I'll tell you what they do they walk away. That's what happens when we teach them because here's what you gotta get. If you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, here's what you need to understand it's him and him alone. You might not ever get anything else in life, but here's what you can be guaranteed, you're gonna be with him. And you're gonna be in relationship with him. And that's what I want you to realize, young people, listen to me for a second. There's two realities in life. The reality over here that life sucks and it really sucks without Jesus. Or this reality, life sucks and it's with Jesus. And I know you don't wanna hear that because you think life's always gonna be great, but I'm just gonna tell you, the longer you go, you're gonna realize, like, this isn't that easy. Any older people that can look at their kids and say yes right don't paint this picture to your kids life is hard being a follower of Jesus Christ is difficult but we can understand this there's no place I would rather be than be in this moment of difficulty with my savior he might not fix it it might not be right but there's nothing better than this Right? And we have to teach our kids that because part of the problem is our kids are looking at this, well, if I could get this, if I do this, and then all of a sudden they don't, and they're like, well, I know somebody else that can give me what I want. I know somebody else that promises me what I can get. Right? And so from the beginning, the gospel says, like, listen, here's the true gospel of Jesus, and you need to make a decision. You know what else he says to all of us? If we make a decision for Jesus Christ is you need to fear the Lord. And here's why you should fear God, okay? So I'm gonna give this to you, whether you're somebody who is not saved or somebody that is saved. Here's a reality that maybe you don't wanna hear, but God does not care whether you're happy or not. God wants to be in relationship with you, okay? And so part of this fear is is that if you're choosing to go off the rails and you're choosing to kind of make your own decisions, just so you understand, God's gonna try to wake you up God's going to, and sometimes it takes bringing you to your knees. I hope it doesn't. But that's part of the, we we should fear this understanding that God is sovereign and God's in control. And if he wants nothing more than a relationship with you, guess what? If it takes chopping you down one leg at a time until you can look up, he's going to chop you down one leg at a time. Or if you're a saved person and you're on this track and you think you got you know life by the tail and everything's going right, and then all you know all of a sudden you start going off and you start going away, just so you understand, God doesn't mind bringing you back. Nobody else has ever done that. I'm speaking from experience. Like you go off in these ways, and then all of a sudden God's like, "Get back on track." right, like get back to the place that you need to be, like that's the fear of God, and that gives us this, you know, idea, because he also says we shouldn't just fear him, we should also glorify him, right, we should worship him, that's what he says, and worship, just so we understand, glorification and worship is just the actions of our life saying, I love you, Jesus, and you're in control, That's what glorifying God and glorifying Jesus and and worshiping him, worshiping his says, you know what, you can look at the actions of my life no matter what it is, and the actions of my life say this, I love you. The way that I work, the way that I'm in relationships, the way that I talk to people, the way that I handle myself, the way that I handle my money, the way that I run my business, the way that I talk to my kids are always gonna be the same thing. I love you, I love you, and I can't believe you love me. Because I say that a thousand times. Like, I love you. I don't know why you love me, but I'm sure thankful, right? Like, I just go through that all the time. Like, I just love you, and I want to serve you in every possible way that I can, right? That's what he said. The first angel saying, guess what? You got a chance. You can be saved. Here's the gospel, and here's what it looks like to glorify and to worship God. And So everybody in this room, that's your chance. Or for you can say, I know, isn't it so cool? I made that decision. He's changed my life. Being a follower of Jesus Christ and the actions of my life have been the best thing ever. Life hasn't been so good, but Jesus is great, Right? Like Jesus is incredible, and we want to talk about Jesus being incredible, and life is just kind of what it is. That's the gospel message that the angel's saying to everybody on the earth Hey, you get another chance. I know your allegiance is in the wrong place right now, but you get another chance. Change your allegiance. Same with you. You get a chance. And so does everybody in this world. Until God takes you home, you get a chance. Or until he comes back, you get a chance. And so for us, hear that message. That's what he says. Then he comes back and gives us another message. So in verse 8, he says, this is the second angel. The second angel followed and said, Fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adultery. So just so we understand the symbolism. So Babylon, at the time, in the book of Revelation, is talking about Anything, so it's lumped into Babylon, but it's thrown into this idea. Babylon represents anything that you put your hope in that's not Jesus. Okay, so he starts with this idea. So it's the whole judgment idea. So he's saying to you, judgment is coming, and that judgment is coming on people who put their hope in anything other than Jesus. Does that make sense? So that's why it says Babylon is falling, right? Because Anything that's outside of the hope of Jesus, we all understand this, right? It's falling. Anybody? Anybody? Right, like we know that, right? Like anything that you put your hope in that's not Jesus is going to fall away. So he wants us to look at judgment from two different perspectives. Here's the first one, right? There's this first judgment that would say this, right? The first judgment would say, if you have put your hope in anything other than Jesus on this earth, judgment is coming to make you realize you should not have put your hope in that. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I said that right, right? Like you have your hope in something of the world. We could just give an example. So um, you put your hope in uh, your money, right? Like your building of your business or your company or something, right? So you put your hope in that and then God came along and said, oh, your, your allegiances are a little bit out of line. Let me straighten them up a little bit by taking all your money away. Right, like judgment is coming. Or you had all of your eggs in one basket and your relationship and you know, know, whatever that was and and you wanted this perfect life, you wanted this perfect family, then all of a sudden your family got broke up. All of your hope was in this and what it was supposed to be and then all of a sudden it got shattered, right? Maybe you're a kid and your hope was you wanted the perfect family like everybody else has but all of a sudden it got shattered, right? Like this judgment of, yeah, we all want something, but don't put your hope in it, right? Like everybody can pray for something or want something, but don't put your hope in it because when you put your hope in something on this earth above Jesus, it's going to crash. And sometimes it crashes here. That's first judgment that he's talking about. And sometimes that judgment will come when it's too late. Right? because you ignored what he was trying to do down here and you kept putting your hope in the things that you should never put your hope in and then someday you're gonna stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ and he's gonna look you directly in the eyes and he says, I don't know who you are, and you know why? Because you put your hope in Babylon. You put your hope in the things of this world and not in me. Right, and he's gonna say, I don't know who you are because Babylon ruled the decisions of your life. Does that make sense, right? Like, those decisions that you made were based upon this idea that my hope is in all of these things, and because of that, you know, I make decisions in my life, and it's very clear, and this is why I'm saying, like, this isn't this difficult, right? Like, it's not that hard, you know, when people, you know, because sometimes people listen to a message like this, and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm going to hell. I feel like you just sit up there and told me I'm going to hell. Well, first of all, I'm not telling you anything. If you feel a conviction that you're going to hell, then maybe you should listen because the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you. Right? Like, again, don't just flippantly, because this is what scares me sometimes with people, because they kind of just flippantly listen to a message like this, and they're like, oh, well, you know, I guess today, if it all went to the end, I guess I would just go to hell. And you know, my kids are kind of, yeah, my kids are kind of off the chain, but you know, and they probably go to hell and they're like, oh, things need to change. I'm like, oh my gosh. Do you know what hell's like? Do you understand what you're saying when you say, oh, I guess my kids, and you don't have a sense of urgency to do something about it? Or if you walk out of this room and you have any inkling, that you feel like not from a condemnation standpoint, that comes from Satan, but from a Holy Spirit standpoint that says you're not right relationally, that you wouldn't dislike. I got to do something about it, right? Because you don't want to get to the judgment and you stand up there and you'd be like, who are you? you know, like you're, I'm the one who sat in the third row in church, and I was here, like, well, I mean, as much as I could. And, you know, I read my Bible every once in a while. Like, and he's like, I don't know who you are, right? The, the representation of your life showed that you believed in Babylon over me, right? And that's the judgment that's coming, and we don't want to be there. And we not want to be there because of this reason. We understand what happens next, right? What happens next, we need to recognize, is real. This is what he says. Here's what the third angel says. The third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image, receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured, out, been poured full strength into a cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or anyone who receives the mark uh, of its name. So listen, this is very clear, and I wanna make sure that we don't miss this. Number one, from the angel, and the third angel saying it to everyone Anybody who has ever discounted the thought that there is a hell, this angel's flat out telling you, no, there is a hell and it will be forever and there will be torment forever. And so if you somehow in your mind, because you couldn't reconcile it, have brought yourself to a place where, oh, there really isn't a literal hell where people could go, this angel's telling you there is and there are people going there, right? Like he's bringing that out for a true reality for all of us. And here's what he tells you. Now listen to me because this is important. Do you see what he points out is that on this earth you have a decision to make okay and we'll be able to tell the decision you made based upon your allegiances does that make sense because you can only be aligned with God or Satan there is no other allegiance you hear me Like anything in the middle, you know, when people are like, well, I'm somewhere in the middle, in between, like, I'm not on fire for Jesus, but I'm also not a hellion. You're going to hell. And I didn't say it. Scripture said it. Lukewarm people. What happened to lukewarm? What did he say? Lukewarm people. He spits them out of their mouth. There is no middle. You are either in alignment with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're all still sinners, but we're trying to get down the road. Amen to anybody? Right? Like I'm trying to get down the road, but I believe in Jesus and I'm thankful that he covered my sin and I love him every day and I do the best I can to be a follower of Jesus. I'm in alignment, I'm in allegiance with, I make my decisions because, and or you're in this camp aligned with Satan. Anybody in allegiance, and you know how it says it in here, anybody that has a mark on their hand or their forehead, but it's really no different. You don't have to have a, a mark on your hand or your forehead. I can just watch the way you live your life. Who you align yourself with. I don't need to see the mark, right? I mean, we don't seem to see a mark. I can just watch the way you live. I can see where your allegiances are, right? We can watch the way people do things and we can know where they're aligned, right? But he says, this is very important, if you are aligned with Satan, you know, back to the front, you get a chance. The gospel's still out there. You can make a decision. But if you die aligned with Satan, you will spend a Christless eternity in a place called hell where there is constant torment over and over and over, and there is no rest, and it goes on every single day. That's a reality. Now, here's what I want you to get a picture of. So, what is hell really like? Have you ever thought about this? Like, what is the torment like? And here's what I wanted to give you a picture because I think sometimes you think of pain and torment the same, but you understand sometimes mental pain is way worse than physical pain. Like, you know when he's talking about torment, part of the torment that you're gonna be feeling in hell is is in your mind, right? And the torment's gonna be this. Like, you ever have this, like, awful headache where you feel like your head's ready to split and you knew if you just got that Excedrin migraine or if you just got that one thing, it would fix it? Anybody else? No? few of you. Okay, put whatever. Any kind of pain and you just knew if you could get that one pain pill, it's gonna make everything better? Well, here's what it's gonna be like in hell. You're gonna have that pain and guess what's gonna be right outside of the door that you can never get but you can always see? The thing that would relieve the pain. Now tell me how much torment that would be. That you would be able to see what would give you relief and it's gonna be right at your fingertips but you can never touch it. How much torment is that gonna be? Because not only is it physical pain that you're going to experience in a hell, you know, and the pain's going to become, and you're going to be tormented, and it's going to hurt, and all those things happen, but the answer to all of your torment is right outside the door, right outside your reach, and you're not going to be able to reach it. You know what the other part of your torment is, is that, like, if you're a parent, um, you ever have, and this is speculation, so, you know, some of what I'm saying is speculation based upon what I've read in Scripture, but... Part of it is, too, you're in complete isolation. like Because you know everybody on, in this, whether you like, you're alone or not alone, relationships are important. Like you need to be with people, right? One of the torment in hell is, is that you'll always be alone. But you will always see a relationship that you could have, but you'll never be able to get it. Like part of the torment is like, I just wanna talk to somebody. I just wanna be with somebody. I just wanna walk across the room. I just wanna be able to talk. I just wanna be able to hear somebody's voice and you're gonna be sitting in that place and you're never gonna be able to hear it and you're never gonna be able to touch it and you're never gonna be able to have it. And not only are you not gonna be able to have it, here's something else that I think will be constant torment. I think that you might see somebody you love in the other room. Think about that. You know what it's like as a parent to see your children hurt? All you wanna do is fix it. All you wanna do is change it. All you wanna do is help them, And you can see him across the room. And you know if you could just reach out and help him, if you could just do something to help him, you're just gonna watch him suffer day and night over and over and over again. It says the torment and the smoke goes on forever. Now who in their right mind wants to spend eternity in hell? Who wants their children to spend eternity in hell? Well, sometimes I wonder because we're not, I don't think we're always saying the things that we need to say. I've always said, you know what? This is a reoccurring dream for me. This is something that happens all the time. Happened clear back to when I first started taking over youth and it's kind of set the trajectory for my entire life. So when I did youth ministry a long time ago, I would have this dream and this was the dream. It'd be like, and again, I don't know how it's going to be, but it's like the end of the times and you're all in a single file line and one's line's leading to heaven and one line's leading to hell and they can see heaven and you can see hell, right? Like it is terrible. So you're like, you're in one line and the other people are in the other line and you're like, oh man, I feel so bad for them. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes up that I love and they're standing in the wrong line. Now, first of all, that's difficult to see But from that other line, this is the most difficult thing. They look at me and they say, why didn't you just tell me? Why didn't you just tell me that I wasn't right or where I needed to be or the things that I needed to do different? If I just would have known the truth, if somebody just would have told me, then I would be in the right line. I would be in the right place. So for all of my life, I've always said this, like I'm not going to mince words. I'm just going to say it the way it is. And it might be hurtful and it might be difficult and you might not want to hear it, but at the end of the day, I never want to hear this. I just wish you would have told me the truth. I'm telling you the truth. If we don't change the trajectory of where we're going today, there are lots of children in our high schools and middle schools that are gonna spend a Christless eternity in hell unless we do something different, unless we change something in our lives. Now, the worship team's gonna come back up. i want to give you some things to think about. Right, I want to give you some things to to process because for all of us we got to get to the place of what do we do then? So what do you do when you walk away from a message like this? What do you do when we can hear, you know, from the three angels who are saying, "Here's the opportunity for salvation. Here's the understanding of the judgment and understanding that if we don't accept salvation, that we're going to spend eternity in hell." What do you do with that? Well, here's the first thing that I want you to do. The first thing that I want you to do is take an opportunity to evaluate your own heart. So if you're a young person in this room, I want you to think about this. If you've been living off of your parents' faith, if you've been at a place where you're like, you know, I've been grown up, but I've never really made that personal decision, you need to make that personal decision for Jesus Christ. You need to allow Jesus Christ to atone for your sin. And you need to develop a personal relationship with him and not wait on your parents to spur you on right because young people listen to me for a second if you are a believer in jesus christ today there is evidence in your life that you are and that evidence shouldn't be that your parents make you do everything you hear me if you love jesus then read your bible before your parents tell you to do if you love Jesus, get around other people that can help you love Jesus more. Don't be like you're pa- waiting for your parents to say, did you do your devotions today? Because we're going to keep doing that, but, and that's going to remind you, but you should want to do that, right? We make excuses for our kids all the time, right? Like, well, you know, they didn't get up and do their devotions where... We wouldn't accept those excuses if you played football for me. When I was a football coach, you learned the playbook and you watched film. And if you didn't, you weren't playing. But we make excuses for our kids all the time of why they don't read their Bible, why they don't come to church, why they don't have a personal relationship. Well, you know, they're only, they're only what? They're only what? Destined for hell? We can't keep living that way. We can't keep making excuses for ourselves and for our kids. We need to call a generation of young people to change the world and we need to be there to help them get it done. We need to stop making excuses for them and call them to a higher level. Ask them to do things, to step out, to challenge themselves, because God wants to use them. And we're here to support them, and we're here to give them what they need, and we're here to back them in everything that we're doing, because we as a church think there is a revival coming. And we think that God wants to be a part, you know, wants us to be a part of that revival as a church. And we're praying that as a church, that we figure out how we can support what God wants to do. And I don't want any of us to get to the end of our life and be like, "I just, I wish I would have said, I wish I would have done, I wish I would have just talked to, I wish I would have just spoke the truth to." Listen, don't have those regrets. Say what needs to be said. Because the worst hurt that you could create is not being honest with your children, not being honest with your spouse, and not being honest with the people around you. Because that hurt lasts forever. Amen? Like This hurt lasts forever. This one, if God's working, it's temporary. He'll work it out. They'll be mad at you for a while, but they'll work it out, right? Things, things. God has a way of doing things. When he's working, he has a way of doing things on that end of it. So I'm gonna pray over you, right? And then we get a chance to take communion. So I think that's an awesome opportunity today is that we're gonna take communion together, which is, again, a reminder where we can just say, thank you, Jesus, for saving a wretch like me. I can't believe you broke your body and shed your blood, but I'm thankful, and I'm gonna be reminded today that I'm thankful for what you did for me, right? And it's an opportunity for us to reflect upon that and remind ourselves that and take that reflection time to say, you know what, this is such a gift. But here's the other thing that I want you to do. During your time of reflection, I also want you to know that there are other people out there that need this same gift, that are dying a Christless death right now because they don't understand about the blood of Jesus and they don't understand about the shedding of his blood and they just want that gift from him. And I want you to pray during that time that, that, that God will open up those doors to have those conversations or to say those things so that you can at least get the truth out there. Not ours and what decision they make, but at least we can get the truth out there. Now, quickly before I pray, just we're gonna try to do communion a little bit differently. Um, differently just for the fact of trying to keep flow going. So when you come to the front, so like if you're coming from halfway up and you come from the front, come up. And then if you can just walk back and then go back into your seats for the last worship song, that way it kind of keeps the flow going. Same on this side. If you walk all the way around, that way we're not running in each other. And then in the back, it's just a free-for-all, however you want to do it back there. That's the way it is in the back, right? You just get to do what you want. That's why you're sitting in the back. Right, So back there, whatever, if you're coming from the front, though, come to the front and then work your way around. Let me pray for you, and then we'll have a time of reflection. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we're thankful that um, you never give up on us. And these three angels coming to uh, the earth to proclaim these things show you'll just never give up. And that you'll give each one of us a chance. And so, Lord, we're celebrating today that we could make the decision for you that we could make a decision to accept your blood as our personal sacrifice. Lord, we're so thankful that you'll do that. Lord, I pray today that you will open our hearts to blow this out of the box. Lord, we don't know what to do. Like, we don't know how to reach young people right now. We don't know how to change the trajectory of what's happening, Lord, but we're gonna listen. Speak to us in ways that will transform what we do as a church and what we do as a people, Lord, because we're willing to do anything to reach young people and to reach and give them the truth and give them an opportunity to love you and to accept you. So Heavenly Father, you know, it's tough to talk about, you know, spending an eternity without you, but Lord, we'd rather have our conversation on this end of eternity. And Lord, may people accept and know you for who you are and love you, Lord, and we love you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So we'll have a time of reflection, and then the communion tables will open.
1: that you've even gone to win my war and your love becomes my greatest defense and leads me from the dry wilderness and all i did Put me back together. You are the defender of my heart. And when I thought I lost me, you knew it. You knew where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. And you picked up all my pieces, put me back together. You are the defender of my heart.
0: You know, if you've lived long enough, there's a lot to say hallelujah about, right? Like, not just that he saved us, that he's our defender, that when, you know, been through these places in life, when you lose yourself, he doesn't lose you. He knows where you're at. and He can always put you back. And to know that we serve a God that even when all the pieces of life are broken, that he'll put us back together. Right? And that for all of us, we can just sing hallelujah that we serve a God that even when life is broken, even when we're you know, not where we need to be, that he's going to chase us down, put us back together. And so we as a church can say hallelujah for that is the type of God that we serve. So again, as we go out this week. Don't just keep that to yourself. May we be a people that shares this gospel message and shares the truth and reality of what God's trying to do. And may you use us to change this community and to be able to change the world. So thanks, everybody, for joining us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.